0: Today we're going to continue our series seeds uh, that we started a couple weeks ago and I had a message that I was had prepared or starting to prepare pretty pretty down the road in and then God just redirected me in the middle of the week and so that happens from time to time it happens to me less frequently than maybe you might think because I kind of I get into a week and I start preparing and it's like I'm searching for okay God what is it for this week and then he'll he'll lead me to it but uh, sometimes I kind of have God just change midstream, mid and so it's okay to do that from time to time, but this message is actually going to be somewhat of a seed in itself. Because it's it's kind of something God has been working on with me for the last couple years in different ways, and some of my leaders will, will tell you about that because I've been just it's been coming out in different ways over time, but it, it's still undeveloped. It's still in seed form, but I felt like it was. I felt like I should share it even in its not fully developed form, and plant it as a seed. So Dallas Willard, he said there are two questions that every church should ask. Number one, first question is this: What is your discipleship strategy? Well, let's go to a famous passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This is what we call the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make what? Disciples, right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is like one of Jesus' last commands to the church. How many of you guys would agree this is pretty important, right? Make disciples. And so I think Dallas Willard is on to something here when he says, What is your discipleship strategy? And so I asked some of our leaders, we started saying, well, what is our discipleship strategy as a church? We've never like put words to it and we kind of wrestled with it for a little bit and we're still wrestling with it. I think sometimes uh, in the Christian world or at least in the West, we're tempted to think of discipleship as a class that we take or maybe as a group that we're a part of. But when Jesus says to go and make disciples, what does that mean? I can tell you that it does not mean only to go and get people saved. It doesn't mean just to make converts. So what does he mean by that? I think maybe it's before we ask what our discipleship strategy is, maybe we ought to go back and define what is a disciple. Because I think a lot of times we don't even really know what a disciple is. So what is a disciple? I'm going to It's such a rich, deep topic, I'm not going to have time to cover it all, but if you look at the original meaning of the word, my words are going to be insufficient to the depth that it actually is, but I'm going to try to do what I can to take a a chance at it. It basically means a committed student. It's a follower, or maybe uh, a word that we are kind of familiar with, but maybe don't see so much in this day, and it's the word apprentice. Apprentice. See, if somebody was apprenticing under somebody, what they would do is they would shadow that person and follow them around and learn everything that they're doing so that eventually that person would start to be able to do what the teacher or the the person who was teaching the trade was able to do. In Jesus' day, he was you know, there was rabbis, and if you were a rabbi and you called a student or a disciple, what that meant is you followed him around like 24-7, 365, and the goal for the rabbi was to take the student and so that the student one day would be able to fully do and fully know everything that the rabbi did and knew so that at some point in the future it would be hard to distinguish the rabbi from the student. That's discipleship. That's when Jesus says make disciples, what he was meaning by that was to, it was something along those lines. And so as we were wrestling with this, Pastor Aaron sent me a definition of it. I think it can be helpful to give us some more depth. It says, the word for disciple is a learner who follows a master teacher. In contrast to our current Western era, learning in Jesus' time was very relational and holistic. Discipleship meant much more than just the transfer of information. Let me say that again. Discipleship meant much more than just the transfer of information. It referred to imitating the teacher's life, his values, and reproducing his teachings. Can you see when Jesus says make disciples, he's saying something that is much bigger than a class it's much bigger than getting somebody saved. It's much bigger than, than what sometimes we think of, of maybe joining a group. He's, he's basically saying when you were a, a rabbi, a rabbi was call, called you and you started to follow that rabbi, you now became, you were done with your old life and now everything from here on out is focused on becoming just like that rabbi. That's discipleship. Uh, have you guys ever seen those bad lip reading things, those little, those clips and stuff that they do. We were doing that like as a family long before any of that, I, we knew of any of that stuff or there were apps for any of that type of stuff. And uh, I don't know how it happened. It's kind of legend now. I don't know, like with my kids, I don't know if like one day we were watching commercials or something and we muted the commercials because we we're tired of watching commercials during a TV show. And then somebody or some along the way started to voice one of the people and to make a new story over the top of the commercial or whatever. Eventually it, it, became, it turned into um, movies where my kids would just... I mean they were very very young they would watch movies they would mute the movie and they would start to talk for the characters and to make a story for all the characters and we have so, and they figured out ways to record this and so they'd have a screenshot of the actual video and then their voices over the top of it and I, I think my daughter Lindsay was like two years old and at one point they had her voicing the voice of Darth Vader as a two-year-old it was awesome it's hilarious. And, uh, and in fact, we did this this week as a family. We were just hanging out and doing this because it's, it's, it's hilarious. And we're able to tell a story on the top of the old story. I want you to get a picture of that because in some ways, that's what it's like when you come to Jesus. It's not like you're, you instantly change, your physical body changes, but, but God begins to tell a new story over the top of what used to be there. The question is, it, when we talk about discipleship, have you muted the world enough for God to be able to tell his story over the top of you? Have you muted culture, your old life, enough? Because there's a beautiful story that God wants to tell. See, it's not like you become like different in the sense that it's not you anymore when you follow Jesus. Uh, another Willard quote that I've said many times, I think it's important for us to understand. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I want you to think about that for just a little bit. Who would, what would Jesus be? What would your life be like if Jesus were living it for you? It's the classic WWJD, but just put in a different way. If Jesus were at your business, if Jesus owned your business, if Jesus were in your family and you, you in that family, in that situation, in that conversation, discipleship is the process of you becoming so much like Jesus that it's hard for people to tell the difference. This is way deeper than just getting people saved. This is way deeper than just getting people into a church service. This is way deeper than Jesus becoming a part of our life. What, what, what I think has happened is sometimes like we call ourselves Christians, but Christian has just become an adjective for our life. It has just become a descriptor of who we are. It just becomes something that, we can, that describes a little bit of a box we can check. But I want you to understand that discipleship is not an adjective. Discipleship is a verb. See, Christian, I think, sometimes has become a title for us. But discipleship, the way the Bible describes it, is an activity that we're constantly a part of. And so I would say it this way, and this may not fully, I mean, because the Bible uses the word Christian a lot. Or they started to call them Christians, but Let me just say it this way because I think it'll get your attention. You may be a Christian, but are you a disciple? We need to wrestle with that. You may be a Christian, but are you a disciple? You say, well, yeah. I mean, God is one of my priorities. He's like one of my priorities. (laughs) He's, He's up there. And a lot of people would say, well, yeah, he is my priority, but I also have other priorities. I was listening to a podcast this week of a pastor who quoted a guy. So it's like a quote within a quote. But there's this guy who uh, wrote this book on essentialism and he said this about the word priority. Listen carefully. He says, as I've written before, the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s and it was singular. It was just priority. And it meant the very first thing. And it stayed singular very sensibly over the next 500 years. It was only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start speaking of priorities. So while we can find ourselves feeling that everything is a priority, literally by definition, it cannot be. When we come to follow Jesus, when we come to be a disciple of Jesus, what's that saying? That's saying that he is our only priority, singular From that, everything else would flow, but it's not like we can have multiple priorities. We only have the priority. And so when we're thinking about disciples, first of all, I want you to wrestle with this. Am I a Christian or am I a disciple? But God gave me three words, and these are like undeveloped seed words that... I believe, are involved in the process of discipleship. And so if you want to go beyond just having an adjective to your your name and start having the verb of discipleship happening more deeply in your life, I believe these three words are going to be a part of it and a part of the discipleship process. And the first word is the word encounter. Every disciple is going to have an encounter of some sort. It may be dramatic or less dramatic, but most likely you're gonna have multiple encounters with God. These are revelation through the word of God. Have you ever been reading the Bible and all of a sudden it just came alive to you? Like that's the, the moment, is just it was peeled back. It's a revelation by the word of God and an encounter with God in some way. It's a revelation by the spirit of God. It's like when all of a sudden the curtain is peeled back in some way and you get to see part of the kingdom of God, you get to see part of yourself in a brand new way, you get to see an opportunity to repent, the blinders come off in some way, or it's an encounter with Jesus in some way. And so if we're to use our agricultural metaphor that we've been talking about in the seeds message series, it's like if you have dirt that's ready to plant, all of you gardeners out there, you have dirt that's ready to plant, and you you you're getting ready to plant the next morning you wake up the next morning and all of a sudden it's an instant harvest that's what encounter's like it's like from dirt to harvest instantaneously how do you guys have ever experienced a breakthrough like that in your life maybe it could be a miracle it could be a breakthrough it could be a revelation these are involved in the discipleship process. This is like the Isaiah standing before the throne of God and saying, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I am undone. He had an encounter. This is like Peter when he has the revelation of the Christ. He's like, oh, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, well, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. This is like Saul on the road to Damascus when the light comes and all of a sudden he meets Jesus. Encounter, breakthrough, breakthrough. This is like when we say one moment in the presence of God can change anything and everything, right? I, have, I, I can tell you story after story of people who've come in this room in the anointed presence of God, and one moment in the presence of God just caused a breakthrough in their life. This is a, like our, our take five people last week. They, many of them have stories, Rolanda had the story of, of going out and stepping out and seeing the sky and having this moment with God. That's like that moment when God just peels back the curtain for you and just opens up a deeper place in your heart. This is like when, when uh, you know, Josh, he, he talked about how he saw the fire in the eyes of Jesus and all of a sudden this revelation came. This is like Michael, he's baptizing his daughter and all of a sudden God begins to speak with him and plants a seed in some way that causes him to go in a different path. It's like Stephen who was talk, needed a word from God he holds on to that clip where the word from God was spoken that confirmed something in his heart. See, it doesn't have to be e- even like about salvation. It's all those things along the way. This is like me on my back porch during my sabbatical when God reveals to me, he says, Sean, you have a hard heart, but any Sean is possible. See, encounter is part of the process of following Jesus these are like burning bush moments where Moses is walking up and he sees the bush that's on fire but it's not being consumed and he turns aside and he hears God's voice. These are like burning heart moments when, when the disciples after the resurrection are walking on the road to Emmaus. They don't know that it's Jesus they're talking to but they sit down with Jesus and, and at, the, at the supper time he takes bread, he breaks bread, he blesses the bread and he gives the bread and they saw him in the breaking of bread and boom, he was gone. And They said, "Ah, oh, our hearts burned with him." You see, we've got to go beyond just Christian being an adjective to our life, and we have to go to being disciple, active, and encounter is part of it. So are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Has your verb turned into an adjective? Has what once burned on the inside of you turned back into something that is just a title? You see, let me just ask it this way. Are you in love with the feelings of following Jesus? Or are you in love with Jesus? Because you know that you can be in love with the activity of being a Christian. You can actually love just going to church, being around Christian people, going to classes, listening to podcasts, drinking our coffee for free. You can be in love with all that stuff. And why wouldn't you? But you can be in love with the feelings of following Jesus and not actually be actively following Jesus. This isn't a commentary on whether you're going to heaven or hell. This is a commentary on whether you're fully stepping into the life of the kingdom of God. And so one of our discipleship strategies as a church is to, play, you know, to create a place of encounter. And I wanna do that right now in the middle of the message. I'm gonna ask Pastor Aaron to come back up and we're gonna receive communion right now in the middle of the message. And my hope is right now that something on the inside of you has been stirred up, even just in the first few minutes of this message. There's something on the inside of you is getting turned upside down and asked the question in a fresh new way. And I want to just give us a moment to process this. I want to give us a moment to come back to the table, as it were, to come back to encounter Jesus with burning hearts again through the breaking of bread. That we can be took by Jesus once again, that encounter that maybe once you you had 10 years ago, or whenever it was, that, that you might have more of those today, or you might be reminded and stirred up in your heart again of what it really means to follow Jesus, that through, through the encounter with Jesus on the cross, that maybe we would see Jesus on the cross for just a moment and what he's done for us and the price he's paid for us. We'd see his victory over the grave once again, and it wouldn't just be pages in a book like it's drifted to, but it would be alive on the inside of us once again. When, when Jesus calls us to be a disciple, what he's saying is, your old life is gone. Please don't get lost in the biblical language that we sometimes get so familiar with. I want you to just imagine, your old life is gone and Jesus is telling a new story over the top. But we have to begin that process of following and growing with him. And my prayer is that we have an encounter even right now. So would you stand up with me? We're gonna to come to the table, take the elements back to our seat, and have a moment with Jesus. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much that as we take this bread, we're reminded of your sacrifice, of your body that was broken for us. May we be encountering you in a fresh new way as we do this today. As we take the juice that represents your blood that was spilled for us. May this activity not be lost on us as just something we do that's a religious activity. But I pray that your life and your presence would be here with us even in this moment to remind us of what you are calling us to, of what you've called us out of and what you've called us into. And as we're reminded of your victory over the grave, over death, over hell, over sin. That you called us out of those things, not just to have a placeholder in heaven, but so that we could be a force against darkness and that we could be a light shining bright even right now in the here and now. So, Lord, we just, I ask for a moment right now for many, many people that we would have an encounter with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come receive. following Jesus. And I hope we have many, many of them. The Great Commission continues in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, gives us a little more depth to what he's asking us to do. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first word that God gave me was the word encounter. The second word that God gave me was the word formation. Formation is part of the process where God begins to develop you from the inside out. This is a process, this would involve things like the fruit of the Spirit growing in, and I did a whole series on it last summer. Like when you start to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, the result of living by the Spirit, in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, and so those things, in kindness, the kindness of God, The goodness of God, the gentleness of God, the faithfulness of God, the self-control that comes from God. This is a, a deep formation that begins to happen as you walk through the process of discipleship. This is also things like fellowship. That's the Bible word for deep, deep, rich community. See, so many of us, we take on the label Christian, but we don't want to be formed by fellowship, we want to come in and just go and attend a church service and then go back out. But I'm telling you, this idea of fellowship is what forms us. It's, there are things that happen when you are fellowshipping with other believers that form you into the way of love, that form you into the way of peace. It forces you to be formed and conformed into the way of Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, these the formation that comes through that. And then I would say formation through what's called the spiritual disciplines. These are ancient practices that are all throughout the Bible, but they're also throughout Christian history. There are things that people have done throughout the ages. Things like, obviously, prayer. Things like fasting. Things like um, confession of sin. Things like... Um, giving and generosity. Things like silence and solitude. So many of us are afraid of silence and solitude. How many of you guys are like, we have noise all around us all the time, don't we? Noise in our world. We have to denoise our world at times, don't we? So many of us are afraid of being silent before God or being silent, being Listen, there's a difference between uh, solitude and isolation. Isolation is when you just want to get away from people. How many of you guys have ever been there before, right? Like, I'm done with it. Solitude is getting alone with God. See, so many of us have so much noise in our life that we're afraid of silence and solitude. And even when we get into silence, we put on music. (laughs) We have a hard time just sitting in the silence. But these are Ancient practices, spiritual disciplines, that when you get on these paths and you get it, you put yourself in these environments, what happens is you start to be formed into the way of Jesus because you have to face certain things that you don't face otherwise. These spiritual disciplines are things... Uh, like meditation on the word. I could go on and on and on. These are things that renew our minds into the way and the culture of life in the kingdom and the way and the heart of Jesus and the nature of the kingdom of God. This is the deep work of inner transformation. It's one thing just to be called a Christian, but it's another thing to have a deep work of inner transformation so, so that you start to be formed in the way of Jesus. Mark chapter four, verse 26 says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Jesus always used these agricultural uh, analogies. And he says, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like somebody who's scattering seed on the ground. He goes to sleep. He rises night and day. And the seed begins to sprout and the seed begins to grow. And he doesn't know how it happens. It just watches it happen. And the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the Full grain in the ear, but when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What is he doing? He's describing the process of a seed. And the process of a seed is that the seed has to go underground into the unseen. If you are going to grow in the area of discipleship, it's not just going to happen in the area of the visible It's going to happen in the deep, dark places that no one else gets to see. And I would, in fact, say that it can only happen there first before it's actually genuine in what is seen. But so many of us are going too fast. We are too loud to be able to allow the deep, dark inner work of transformation to happen and to allow that seed to go underground and to begin to germinate. See, it's in the dark, it's in those inner deep places that begin to shape you into the type of person whose desires, whose habits, whose default responses are the way of Jesus. This is the process of discipleship. Spiritual disciplines are not the end, but they are a means to an end. The end is Jesus. They put us in the environment to be able to be formed into the way of love, to be formed into the way of peace. I, I was, this week, I don't know what happened, I, I was, I don't even remember where, where I was, but I remember the feeling that I had. I was instantly transported to Christmas. <laughs> you guys are like, don't, Pastor Sean, not yet, we're not ready yet. But I was like, instantly, I had like all the sights, smells, the feeling, like for just like 30 seconds of Christmas. And I don't know what your traditions are around Christmas time, but we have these traditions, and one of the traditions is we have something called Cookie day where we bake way too many cookies. And we, don't, we can't eat them all, but we make them anyway. And we just, I mean, it's just like part of the, the abundance of God, I guess. I don't know. We just make all these cookies. And one of the things we do is we, we melt chocolate. We put it over pretzels because it makes you feel better because you're eating them on pretzels and, and all that stuff. But, but I had just, just a picture of melting chocolate and forming it into these little molds of candy, this little reshaping. And in that picture, I just thought, man, that is the way of formation. It's when God melts our heart down into a new form, and it takes on the new form, the new form of the kingdom of God. Like when your heart is hard, but God begins to melt it down, and it begins to reform it into the way of love. You begin to be conformed by the renewing of your mind, the renewing of the, your spirit in, in a way that causes you to be a person of peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, all of those things. I was talking with my brother Jake earlier this week. many of you guys know he 's in Israel. I was talking with him before he landed over there. We talked for a couple hours, and we were talking about all the situations, and our heart was just going out for people going out for the people that were all affected by this and at one point in our Conversation, our conversation drifted. He was started to talk about some people that he knew. uh, I think it was from India. Who, like, there's this guy who knows these 300 Christians that are actually hiding and starving in some place. And as we were talking about them, he was like, "Man, how can we help them?" That sort of thing. He started to get choked up on, on the phone as we were talking, and because he was like deeply affected by this situation. And I don't think he would mind me saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> He's not here. Um, but can I just say that I think a couple years, several years ago, that wouldn't have been the case with him. I'm not saying he had a, he was bad or anything like that. I'm just saying that what I'm trying to say is that something has happened over the last few years in his heart where God has somehow melted something and now it has been reformed in the heart of compassion, a deeper heart of love. That's what it looks like to have deep formation happen. It's like a heart molded and formed into love. Do you realize that I think part of the discipleship process is like, you ever, you ever have somebody say something to you and just set you off? Come on, that's everybody, right? Like you have an instant reaction, right? You don't even have to think, but it's just a reaction. And so what happens as we're trying to grow in God is we try to anticipate what will happen. I don't know if you've been there before, but it's like, okay, if somebody says this to me, how am I going to react? And I want to make sure that I react in a godly way so that I don't look, make Jesus look bad and all that type of stuff, right? And so you get to this phase where you start to anticipate your reactions, and you don't always catch them, but you try. What I'm saying is that there is a place that we can get to in God. A place where our heart gets melted and reformed in such a way that even our default reactions are automatically the way of the kingdom. I believe there's a place we can get to where you don't have to try to react. In fact, reactions many times are a time when you don't have time to think about it. But see, when you are really formed into the way of love, you don't have to fake that. You don't have to force that. It just comes out of you. That's the process of discipleship. That's the process of walking with God so much that you are so close to Jesus that all of a sudden it's hard to tell the difference between what he thinks and what you think, from what he does and what you do, from how he would react and how you react And what I'm telling you is it is possible for us as believers to go beyond just being Christians and to be disciples in such a way that even our reactions, our default responses look automatically like Jesus. And we ought to expect that. We ought to lean into that. We ought to not just say, well, I'm human. Well, they made me do this. No, 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 no. There's a place we can get to in God through formation, but it's a deep, deep inner work. The early desert fathers, as they are called in the first few centuries, they, they tried to uh, develop something that would help them in this process and it's called a rule of life. Some of you guys have heard about that before. Uh, I've been introduced to that in many different uh, sides and different angles the last couple years and it, it can become a religious thing and it has for many, many people, but uh, it can also be a helpful thing for us to understand it and understand that in many ways we're actually already doing that. But Pete Scazzaro is a guy who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and all sorts of things. I've been influenced by him over the years. And so I'm going to let him describe a rule of life to you and how it impacts him and how it can impact us through the area of formation. So here's Pete Scazzaro.
1: Uh, a rule of life is probably one of the riches, uh, one of the richest gifts that comes out of uh, monasticism. So let me just start a little bit of history. Stay with me; don't get bored. Uh, in the second, third, and fourth centuries, uh, when the Roman Empire basically became Christian. Uh, There was no longer martyrdom. People weren't being killed for their faith. And so the early centuries, uh, first two, three centuries, the only, the the church had a purity to it because basically you were risking your life to be a Christian. But once Constantine became the emperor and the church became, now everyone was going to church. And so now there was so much of the world in the church that the church and the world were indistinguishable, a bit like today. Uh, And so what happened, there was something called a white martyrdom. And that is men and women started the fleet of the desert uh, to be with Jesus, to, to be with God. to get cleansed of the idols in their hearts so they can see the idols in the culture. And they began to seek God. In fact, there was a big revival broke out in Egypt. There's been you know, so much written about this. That they, they, things are said like this. There were so many hermits, so many people living in the desert. There was more people in the desert than in the cities like Alexandria at the time. And so what happened, they, they were living as solitaries, but when you're alone and not with other people, you can do crazy things. And so a guy named Pacomius Started, the, he was the first one who wrote a rule of life. He basically got to assemble people in communities around a structure. And the word rule is not like we think of rules, do's and don'ts. It's an ancient Jewish word that means the word for trellis. Uh, think of a trellis keeps grapes growing upward and outward. And so a rule of life gives a bit of structure to a community of how are we going to live and follow Jesus together to keep you from going crazy and keep them centered on Jesus uh, and, and kind of with integrity with each other. And so this rule of life has been basically developed over the last two thousand years. So every monastic community in the world has a rule of life, but I would say that every church has a rule of life. That is a way that we follow Jesus. You're in small groups. You're giving. You're serving. You're connected. You're coming on Sundays worshiping. But there's, a, there's a, you're spending time with God. There's a kind of a way that we follow Jesus in this church, and we actually choose churches based on their rule of life. But for most of us, it's unconscious. It's not conscious. And so, one of the great gifts, I think, of a rule of life for today, again, in light of the pressure that we're under from all these forces to not stay connected to Jesus or each other, is a rule of life. And being conscious and thinking about an intentional way we want to stay connected to God. And so, um, here's a question for you about how are you structuring your life with God right now? What are you doing? And is it working? So, for example, uh, maybe you have a devotionals every morning, maybe you attend a, a group, maybe you attend a conference once a year, uh, maybe you do a Sabbath, maybe you have vacation three weeks a year, uh, maybe you have a day alone with God once a year. But the question is, is that working and is it sufficient? And do you need to make an adjustment in your overall structure of how you're keeping Jesus at the center of your life? And so in 2003 is when I began to write a, a, every year a rule of life. And think through what am I doing and what do I need to shift and I've always used the same uh, categories of a rule of life that's found in Benedictine spirituality Benedict's rule and it's a fantastic way to structure your life uh, around prayer rest relationships and work and the big theme here is balance and so for example I keep now to a five-day week okay in my work very very important relationships I got my wife, Jerry, we've got four daughters, we've got two son-in-laws, we've got a couple of grandchildren. Very high priority. The people I work closely with, high priority in relationships. I've got some friendships, very important to me. Okay, in terms of prayer, I've got a rhythm of daily offices three to four times a day. I've got, you know, at least one day alone with God per month, sometimes two days. Uh, I've got Sabbath uh, in my prayer category. I've got, I actually can go and rest as well. Uh, I I do Ignatian discernment. I've got a spiritual director. I journal. Uh, And then in terms of work, I have to limit my work box because uh, I need time for relationships. I need time for prayer. I need time for rest. And so in my work box, uh, obviously I've got things like I'm a pastor, you know, partially here at New Life Fellowship Church. I'm about the lead pastor. I'm impartial. I lead emotionally healthy discipleship. I write. Now I'm doing, I just added YouTube to my work life. Okay. It's a little addition. And so I've always got to say, what am I pulling out? When I add something new, I got to pull something out because time is limited. Again, rule of life confronts us with limits. You're going to hear this over and over again. We talk about emotionally healthy discipleship, the gift of limits. And a rule of life confronts you with it. And again, I'll just, I'll close with this little image and I'll carry it with you. Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, said they can eat from any tree they want. They said, but there's one tree God says you are not to eat from this tree, the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God puts that tree right in in front of them in the middle of the garden. We have limits. A rule of life becoming conscious and thinking it through forces us to confront, I have limits. I can't do it all. And so therefore I've got to look at my life and say, What am I going to do in terms of prayer, rest, relationships, and then work, and embrace God's limit? Adam and Eve crossed that limit. That was their rebellion. And I'd say that's one of the greatest rebellions that we do as leaders is we cross God's limits. And we just take things. We do our will, not God's. And before we know it, all hell breaks loose. We're in the evil one's territory. And so a rule of life is a gift to restrain our self-will that wants to go its own way and surrender to Jesus.
0: That's pretty powerful, right? Here's what I want you to catch, though. Every single one of us has a rule of life right now, whether we've intentionally decided it or not. You have a rhythm, you have a pattern, you have a way that you think about life, you have a, a th- reasons why you do things, you probably have habits or predictable patterns, you have schedules, you have a calendar, you have a, uh, you know, different practices. Every single one of us has, whether it's intentional or not intentional, you have a rule of life right now. I said at the very beginning that Dallas Willard had two questions. Number one was, what is your discipleship strategy? The second question is this, is it working? Is it working? The Great Commission continues over in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So we have the word encounter, which is a part of discipleship. And I pray we have many, many more of those. But it's those breakthroughs, those spikes in our growth chart. Then we have formation, which is this deep, long, dark, inner work process of the process, slow process of growing in God into the deeper ways, being formed into the way and the culture of the kingdom of God, being molded into the way of love. And then the last word is mission. Because you can be, have encounters and you can be formed, but if you don't have mission, then it's just like a stagnant pond. And so mission is, is the areas where we serve one another. There's a reason why we gather together and serve one another. There's a reason why we serve in the kids' ministry. We serve coffee. We serve in outreaches. There's, there's a command to serve one another. It, this is I would put spiritual gifts in this category. Because it's anything that's an outflow that's meant to bless somebody else, to be a gift to somebody else. Spiritual gifts are to gift somebody else. And so the, in this mission category, it's there's serving one another, spiritual gifts. It's when we share our faith. It's when we pour out and we share what God has put in us and put it into somebody else. It's when we step out into our specific purpose and step out into our mission field because it doesn't matter what your mission field is. It could be your neighbor across the street. It could be going across the country, but you are to step out into a mission field and you are called, it doesn't matter if you're called to stay, you're still called to go even if you're called to stay. You're still called to go in some way, to pour out. It's when you start to disciple other people. If we keep with our analogy, it's, it's when the seed grows up into a plant. And what happens for you gardeners, you know this, that a seed that goes into a plant does what? It has other seeds now to give that can now be planted, right? And many more than just the one that they had. They can plant all sorts of seeds. It, it's as if the plant now becomes a gardener. So, I want you to get that image of, a, of now you're able to give out. This is part of the process of discipleship. Many of you guys have probably heard about this, but a couple centuries ago, there was something called one way missionaries. I don't know if you know what these are or not, but this is like some, the Moravians were a part of this. But basically, what happened is some people were ready to be on mission so much that they bought one way tickets to places with no intent of returning home. Many of them knew that they would not return home. Some say that uh, they would actually pack their belongings not in suitcases but coffins as a representation that they they already were dead to themselves. They weren't worried about death because they were already dead to themselves. One of the guys that went was a guy named A.W. Milne who uh, he went to the South Pacific and he knew going into that that that, uh, every other missionary that had gone before him had been martyred by these headhunters, and he went one-way ticket, went anyway. God was on his life so much he had such an impact that they said this about him after he was gone. They said, when he came, there was no light, but when he left, there was no darkness. But he was just so motivated because of what Jesus had done in him that he had to do that for somebody else. That's the process of discipleship. No one here is probably ever going to do something like that. In fact, you don't have to do that. You have to do whatever God has called you to do. Do it faithfully. Don't be comparing, looking to the left or the right. Don't create your own adventure apart from God. Be faithful where you're at. But no doubt, it will involve a mission of some sort. You will be planting seeds somehow. And so what I'm saying is that we need encounter. We need formation and we need mission if we are going to go from just having an adjective of Christian to actually be in an activity of discipleship. We need all three of these things. Now, here's what I've seen. And this is really the crux of the message right now. Here's what I've seen a lot of people do. A lot of people in our environments, they go from encounter, they skip formation, and they head to mission. Mission. We get all excited about some encounter we've had with God. We get saved and we go instantly to mission. We go instantly to how can I serve? We go instantly to how can I be on mission? We go instantly to using spiritual gifts. We go instantly to all these things. By the way, that's why the book of 1 Corinthians was written. It was for for some people who went from encounter to mission but had no formation. They, They weren't formed into the way of love. And what happens when you go from encounter to mission is you may have something to give, it's just not very deep. When you go from encounter to mission, you have something to give, but eventually it begins to crack. Eventually it begins to be seen through. Eventually you have to start faking it. What I'm saying is we need encounter, formation, and mission. Many of us are unwilling to go through the long process of formation. And there's a reason why the church in the United States is so shallow. It's because we have not gone to the deep, slow place of being able to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, of being able to walk in fellowship for a long time. It takes a long time to become old friends, to be able to be formed into the Spirit. Listen, if you've been following Jesus and you haven't grown very much in the area of generosity, in the area of, of serving one another, in the area of uh, having fellowship or life in the Spirit or Going in some way, what I'm saying is you may be in love with the idea of being a Christian. But not participating in being a disciple of Jesus. And what I want to call us to as Journey Church is not to be people who just... Get all have these encounters with God. Some of us just stay at the encounter and we just keep seeking an encounter. So we chase all these things and we go to the next conference, the next thing, the next podcast, the next book, the next event, trying to chase an encounter. And some of us go and we, we go on mission and you should. But let's also invite into the long, deep process so that one day we can look around at each other and say, wow, you have been, something's different about you. Your deep default reactions just are kingdom reactions. Your deep default responses are love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, the way of Jesus. So the worship team can come back up. I'm just going to say it again. You need encounter, formation and mission to be growing as a disciple. So let's make it personal. What is your discipleship strategy? If discipleship isn't a class, if discipleship isn't a group you're a part of, if discipleship essentially is I signed up to follow Jesus and I'm not stopping until I don't have any more breath in me, until I meet him face to face. If discipleship is an ongoing activity to be formed into the likeness of Jesus and into the way of the kingdom, what is your discipleship strategy? And now let's ask the second question, is it working? Do I need to adjust something in my life so that I go from just Christian being an adjective to disciple being a reality in my life? Because you may be a Christian, but are you a disciple? It's time to turn the adjective back into a verb. This is, for me, this message is in seed form because it's still developing in me. But I'm hoping that something... And I can't tell all the time by everybody's reactions. I can't tell if everybody's mad at me or everybody's processing or... But I hope something's stirred up on the inside. I hope something's just like, and I'm I'm hungry for God.